Coming up on a special edition of Scarp and Friends, it's Arizona's first open seat governor's race in nearly a decade, and it's attracting national attention. On the Republican side, longtime Phoenix TV anchor Carrie Lake. In the first hour, after I take my hand off the Bible with the oath of office, we're going to issue a declaration of invasion and we're going to start securing the border. She cleared a crowded primary field to clinch the Republican nomination, thanks in part to an endorsement by former President Donald Trump. On the Democratic side, Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. The current schema vouchers does not provide equal access. She narrowly won a statewide race in 2018 and it has since become a darling of MSNBC commentators for her role in the 2020 election. Public polls show the race neck and neck with few undecided voters. Today, we sit down with the only person in Arizona who's been able to secure both candidates on stage in a public setting for our state's top job, the president and CEO of Arizona's largest and most powerful business organization, Danny Seiden for immediate post-forum analysis of this high-stakes, highly competitive campaign and what it means for the future of Arizona and our economy. This is one episode of Scarp and Friends you don't want to miss. Welcome, welcome to Scarp and Friends. Uh, we are backstage. This is an amazing facility that they have. I've never been down here. What's this complex, Danny? We're at the Republic National Distributing Company. But we're backstage. We just left the big event that you and your team put together. I will just first say this was really impressive. I mean, this was, I think everyone was impressed by this event, the attendance. How did you pull this together? So, <clears throat> You know, Amazon, one of our great board members who has 40,000 jobs in this state, came to us and said, we would like to host a forum and hear from both candidates about issues that matter to us. Can you make that happen? And, you know, I thought, sure, this was months ago. Uh, did not expect there to be this um, buzz because uh, there was going to be no debates. Mm -hmm. So securing this forum between the two of them turned out to be a lot tougher than I anticipated. But... Luckily for my time in the governor's office, we have a relationship with Secretary Hobbs. Right. And I've been invited to multiple meetings with uh, Carrie Lake. Mm -hmm. And we've just developed a good rapport. And she knows I'm a person of my word. I think both candidates did. And I have a fantastic team. Christina McDonald is my events director. She did so much good work. She ingratiated herself with both campaign teams. They both trusted and like her, as well as Laura Siscomani, Sarah Forlano. We just have such a good team. You've got a, a phenomenal team. And uh, it's impressive because, like I said, in the lead and no one else in the state, not even the Citizen Clean Elections <laughs> Committee, has been able to get these two candidates together. And of course, this was not a debate. It was a forum, uh, and the candidates spoke separately. But what uh, what were some of your key takeaways, Danny? You moderated this and interviewed the candidates. Yes. So I thought some of my key takeaways were definitely that Secretary Hobbs played it very safe, I thought. She seemed to know the audience where she was at. It was a room full of job creators. There were CEOs. The largest employer in the state was in the room. She seemed to recognize that and she seemed to be speaking directly to them and tailor her messages in a very broad way at them for the most part. 
you heard what she said about taxes. You know, I'm, I'm not going to raise taxes, but even if I wanted to, I couldn't because the legislature won't be at two thirds. Right. So that was one of my big takeaways was the way in which Secretary Hobbs really tailored her message. Um, I thought she played it uh, safe. I, I thought she was articulate and uh, clear and concise, maybe a little too concise. I, you know, I wish you I, I had her on stage. Yeah, it seemed to go by very fast. I wish I had her on stage longer, but uh, we're, gra- we're grateful she came at all. And then with, uh, you know, with Carrie Lake, I have to say, you're, you see a lot of candidates right now, whether it's Blake Masters um, or others who are doing this thing where they scrub their websites or they seem to be trying to like erase what they ran on in the primary. And Carrie Lake is showing none of that. She said it on the stage today. She's not going to change her message or who she is in the question I asked about what are you going to do to woo new voters? Now, I think that's really interesting because, as you pointed out, there's very few undecided voters right mm-hmm. now in all the polls. So you have to wonder, will Kerry's authenticity win them over? Because voters aren't as dumb as we like to think they are sometimes. They're not going to fall for, um, I'm completely shifted to the middle. I do think she had a lot of good points that hit very, you know, I would say home runs on, on some business issues. No taxes. I'm going to try and get taxes down to zero every year. I think right. we've heard that before from a good friend of ours. And he got pretty close. Yeah, Governor Doug Ducey got the lowest flat tax in the country. She complimented Governor Doug Ducey today on stage, which I thought was very nice. Um, she seems to be, um, I, I would say, working more towards uh, telling the business community who she is and what she would do as governor. And we saw that. On the tax issue, Katie Hobbs, you did ask her pretty directly, and she she said uh, it, it started to sound like Fred DeVal. She said, you know, I'm not looking at a tax cut at this point. That was, to me, a key addition to her answer. Is that concerning from a business standpoint? <clears throat> Absolutely. You know, one of the reasons we've had this tremendous growth and we're, you're sitting in the fastest growing county in the country right now is because of what we've done with cutting taxes. So anything that would halt that momentum, that would reverse course is a bad idea. So yes, I did notice she parsed her words very carefully. Secretary Hobbs is a long, you know, practice politician. She's been around a long time. You know, I, I almost, I thought about making a joke saying that's not quite a no new tax pledge, uh, you know, akin to George H.W. Bush, but um, she did. She kind of gave herself a little bit of an out. I also thought, she said, it. she's like, listen, even if I wanted to, we can't do it with the legislature, which I kind of joked that that should be your campaign slogan. I, don't worry, I can't raise taxes. I don't have the majority. But no, um, I thought it was encouraging. She seems to recognize in a room full of business people, you don't come in and say you're going to raise taxes. I do think uh, K, um, K, uh, Carrie Lake, a lot of a lot of K's, Katie's yeah, and Carrie's, so I get confused. But she uh, she was pretty aggressive at going on offense against uh, Katie Hobbs, um, also against Mir Gallego, uh, <laughs> calling her a socialist from stage. And I think probably with a lot of your members, a lot of the issues at the city level maybe do resonate with them. It's certainly been, it was a challenge in our administration. A hundred percent was. You saw, you know, all of the questions came from our members with the exception of one. And that was, what do you do when you have a governor who disagrees with the mayor? Mm -hmm. That was written by us. That was our team because of how much we struggled with that when I worked for Governor Ducey, when you worked for Governor Ducey. And because we're, we're seeing mayors with policies that just make housing more expensive, 
or really cut down on the ability for the economic growth. And it's an issue of statewide concern. So um, I was hoping I would hear someone say the word preemption. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why we have preemption and we won't hesitate to use it. But we didn't. We heard a lot about local control and not getting into hypotheticals. So um, I do think people are struggling with what's happening at the city. I think Mayor Gallego is actually more of a moderate right now on the city council. Really? I do. I think she's she's hit more of a... More not of a, saying a lot about you know, her colleagues. You know, when you when you dealt with her on COVID issues, I, I, I don't think that was true. When you deal with her on business issues, she is good on economic development. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think what, what Carrie's referring to is what's happening with, she doesn't even want to call them homeless camps anymore. I mean, these are mini villages happening just two blocks away from our state's capital. It's not good. Uh, the city needs to do something about it. They haven't done something about it. So Carrie was aggressive about that. She doesn't want us to be San Francisco or Los Angeles. I do think that is going to be a big issue for the next governor to tackle. It's, I think it's a disgrace when you drive by, um, uh, is it Jefferson and 15th Avenue, and that's how you're greeted to our state and to our seat of government is um, mentally ill, drug addicted people. It's, it's, I think you've called it in discussions I've had with you inhumane, it, and yeah. it really is. It, it is, and there's, there's children in there. There's children in there and there's serious crimes happening as well. So I know we say a lot of it is mental health, a lot of it is uh, addiction issues, but that's not excusing, you know, a rise in homicides mm-hmm. in these places, a rise in sexual assaults and, you know, malnourishment for those children. So I, I do have a lot of concerns about that. I do think it's embarrassing and I think it's growing. It's not just going to be contained to 15th and Jefferson. I think no matter where you live in the valley right now, you're seeing more and more homelessness and uh, that's very concerning and it lands right on the local control issue they have not done anything on this it's interesting to me there were a lot of topics hit on you know water and some of the things that that you named it does seem like the top issue to the voters is the cost of living and our economy Um, and i don't necessarily hear the candidates talking a ton about that yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, you know, for a long time, something like inflation was just a theoretical thing that we talked about, you know, back in economics class when we were in college. But now people understand what it is every time they pay for gas, every time they buy groceries. And it is a real concern. It, it usually pulls as the number one issue. Mm-hmm. And um, to, to hear the candidates on the trail, you definitely don't ever hear about. You don't hear what they're going to do. You hear some finger pointing at, well, it's President Joe Biden's fault or it's uh, greedy corporations' fault, Mm -hmm. which is just logically flawed. You know, there's no corporations out there that have the ability to drive up inflation this way. It's a simple matter of too many dollars chasing a few too goods. And um, so that is concerning. But I did hear today Kerry Lake talk about, you know, lowering people's income tax burdens, Mm -hmm. which is in sales tax. And, you know, that will lower the price of goods. So that was an interesting um, thing from her to show awareness as to what is really hitting people's bottom lines. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, can't you get that message out there? Because I don't hear it. Every time we hear from Carrie Lake, and right now that, you know, auditorium is crowded with press, you know, formed an instant gaggle around Carrie Lake. She's holding court in there. Is she talking about that or is she talking about, you know, election issues or President Trump and Mar-a-Lago or something that's more of a distraction? She had some really good policy points, but we never hear it. Is that what you were trying to get at with your first question? Because you're impartial, at least at this point, the yeah. chamber is is has not endorsed yet. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, you seem to have good relationships, as you mentioned at the onset, with both campaigns and both candidates. So, were you? What were you trying to get at with that first question, where you mentioned she's got a lot of great policies, yeah. but we don't hear a lot about that? Yeah, we, we don't. And same with Secretary Hobbs. She is actually, I think, when she first unveiled her economic plan. They references like, is this just Ducey 2.0? Because it was very similar in his plan to use, um, j just keeping us in a very globally competitive market. So um, I thought that was great from her. She but did it, talk about opportunity for all. That so, caught yep, my yep, ear. Yeah, there's there's a lot of our shades <laughs> of our former Boston there today. And uh, I thought, so yeah. But what 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 was frustrating to me is. Um, again, uh, Secretary Hobbs is, has some great points, a lot of good experience, but she's talking about abortion. Mm -hmm. um, about every ad I see from Secretary Hobbs is about abortion. Mm -hmm. And um, every ad we see with Carrie Lake is attacking Katie Hobbs. It's mm -hmm. not talking about what they're going to do. So we did want to get that out. I, mm -hmm. I wanted the largest employers in the state to hear what they will actually do as governor. Because as you know, come January, they have two weeks to put together a budget and put together a legislative agenda and get to work. I mean, we were faced with that. We, we hit it with a $1 billion deficit, so it made a, the choice is pretty easy because you couldn't spend any money. But nonetheless, we had to come up with all of that, and they will too. Well, I do want to talk about that, and, and I don't know if people know this, but the by way of background, of course, Danny and I worked together in the governor's office for several years. We're longtime friends. And the reason that I came out to work for Governor Ducey was because of Danny. Uh, and I remember it vividly, he had been calling me for a couple weeks and I was, it was the Sunday before the 2014 election. And uh, I remember, cause I had had a couple Bloody Marys when he called and he, he, uh, he said, um, hey, you know, we really want you to come out. We really want you to work in the administration. You know, you were, you're a very good lobbyist and you you really uh got an answer a yes out of me and then it was really just a few days after the election that i flew out was on the ground here in arizona to work for the governor with you and we hit the ground running on the transition and it really is a uh insane process so little time yeah. As you said, state of the state, inauguration, budget, populating agency heads. You've been through that. You've led that process. What um, would be your advice to uh, to these whoever wins? You know, how do they approach that with success? You know, for starters, I would keep the transition team smaller. I think we somehow had this transition team that became like the mini United States Senate. We had committees and subcommittees. And, you know, our, our former boss, Governor Ducey, is very thorough. And uh, it just, and, and Senator John Kyle was the honorary co-chair. And he said, he, he, I'll never forget, I asked him to do it. And he said, I'll, I'll do it, but I just want to be honorary. And <laughs> that was not true at all. He was very involved. Yeah. Um, I don't think he puts his name on anything he's not involved with. But we, we, we were we interviewed every single agency head and got so in the weeds. We, we had our committees produce reports on what we should do and what good policies would be. And meanwhile, you know, we're meeting with the outgoing OSPB director, John Arnold, who's telling us you've got a billion dollar deficit. Here's plan A of how you can cut your way to it. Goodbye. I'm going to go take a different job. And, you know, that was it. And, you know, we hadn't filled any jobs yet and it was really difficult. So my advice would be keep it small. 
Um, you don't have to rush into any agency decisions. You don't have to come in and say, well, I'm going to fire everyone from Ducey World if you're Katie Hobbs or Carrie Lake. You can, you can take your time. You can evaluate, um, slow play it a little bit. As you know, as the former um, deputy chief for communications and then chief of staff, Agencies are where you get in trouble. Right. You don't know what's happening in your agencies until there's a problem. You yes. know, very rarely are they the good news drivers for an administration. So I would take some time and I would really evaluate what's happening in every one of my agencies. So that would be my advice. And Which, by the way, is why we brought on our friend Daniel Ruiz to, to be the person watching over the, uh, what, do you, what would be the right term, the guarding the hen house or what would, would be, be that? I, I think what, you know, and I'll never forget, Mike Liberti, uh-huh. our former general counsel, now a federal judge, introduced me to Daniel Reese, who was coming from Clean Elections, who you mentioned <laughs> earlier. And I will always take joy in beating Clean Elections at anything we do and let Tom know that. But no, Daniel, uh, he, he has this instinct for both operations and politics that is really hard to find because typically you have these operators that are just bureaucrats mm-hmm. and i'm not saying that to be insulting but that's what they are they they know how government works they want to make it work well daniel's rare and he knows that he knows how to communicate complicated ideas and he understands how it would look politically too so mm-hmm. he can kind of put all three of those together yeah and i i think he's a special talent i completely agree and i did not hire him he's one of the ones i well i did, I did and him. i'll yeah. take full yeah. credit <laughs> there um, you, go. Yeah. you know i do think and this isn't directed at these candidates although certainly they've had their opinions about certain things Um, But a lot of people have. I think a lot of people think it's really so easy, you know, the ninth floor and, you know, and they just, you know, they they think it's it's not it's easy. It's not. I will tell you, it's not an easy job. And really, that beginning of the term is so challenging. And I remember it was like March and I was just beaten down between the first month, everything that we had to do, Super Bowl, we announced Apple I think we got, you know, we got the budget done in record time. And I remember just being like, I I don't know how long I can do this. And I was in the governor's office and he said, wow, this is the hardest three months I've ever had in my career. And I was like, wow, if this guy who has led, you know, Coldstone Creamery, built a major corporation, has all this experience, um, in business, um, then then I think I can get you know through this. I'm not the only one who's feeling this way. So it was really for me, like that was great mentorship for me from the governor because I felt like you know I could really relate. He could relate to what I was going through, and we were all going through this together as a team. Um, but I do think a lot of folks out there just think it, this is an easy thing to do to run the government to you know, kind of move, herd the cats, legislature, state agencies, et cetera. It's very challenging. That's 100% correct. And, you know, without getting into anyone's personal business, you can just look at the way this job takes a toll on people. And, you know, think about our staff and, you know, what it did to a lot of personal lives. I mean, it was very difficult for people in their marriages and their, you know, time they got to spend with their kids. You sacrifice a lot to be on the ninth floor. It's not a... uh, but this is a job that gives me a lot of power and I'm just happy to be up here. There's a lot of work that goes into it and you pay, I think, a heavy price for serving the state and you hope you find people with good motives. And, it, you know, I think both um, Secretary Hobbs and um, Kerry talked a lot about, you know, they're going to get some outside people or they're going to bring good people in. And I, I hope that's true. That's what's needed. I agree. Um, 
uh, that's the most important thing. I think if you have people up there for the wrong reasons, it's it's bad. But this this job takes a toll. Um, yeah. Well, and and we, people get worn out. I mean, I think it. I, that's where I do think term limits are good. You need fresh people in there. You need fresh perspective. Um, so I think it's good to have these transitions. Um, what uh, what does this race mean for the business community? I, 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 and I will say, I think if you had pulled that room and walked around there, probably everyone would say, Governor Ducey's done an amazing job the past eight years, our economy, our reputation. You were just in Taiwan with the governor in South Korea. Um, and so, and I think you even heard from the stage, both candidates in their own way acknowledging uh, that our state is very well positioned and and because of him. Um, so what does this race mean? What do your members want to see? Uh, what does the business community want to see? Well, it's such a crucial time. I mean, you, you're, you're right. We've had unprecedented growth, Gro- growth that it hasn't been seen in Arizona's history in terms of the economy and policy matters. We didn't get there by accident. And that story doesn't ever get told, by the way. You know, they're like, oh, look, TSMC picks Arizona, you know, Intel, $20 billion, when before we were kind of a data center uh, town. That was policy. It was, you know, worked hard to create that globally competitive. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, so to, that's a good transition. I think what the business community wants to see right now, we're obviously not going to see, you know, uh, Doug Ducey 2.0, um, as much as, you know, Governor Ducey has been great for the business community. He's one of them. He understands how to, to, to run a business. I think we're hoping to get someone who can be a leader, a good spokesman for the state. Um, it was refreshing to go to South Korea and uh, Taiwan and have these people say, you're known around the world, Governor Ducey, for what you're doing with your state's economy. But Arizona is known for being welcoming, which mm-hmm. is why TSMC said they chose. And that, to me, was warmed my heart to hear that. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's what I experienced when I moved to Arizona. And to hear that we're treating foreign companies that way made me feel great, too. So I, I think we're looking for a good spokesman, someone who will keep an open door, which Secretary Hobbs said she would, um, someone who's not looking to settle scores, which Carrie Lake said she's not. So I think, you know, we got some good glimpses at it tonight. Um, but we can't do anything to offset this momentum right now. You know, I mean, I'm under a lot of NDAs, but the pipeline of huge deals that we're looking at are fantastic. If we can nail down our energy policy, if we can get um, the Corporation Commission to understand what economic development, how economic development and energy works together, I mean, this, it's unlimited. The potential is unlimited. We're better than Texas. We, we're better than Texas. We're better than Tennessee. We're better than Utah. Um, you know, the only thing we're missing is a beach. Don't mess with Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I, I don't know what the slogan could be. And I'll say that that's a really good thing. Uh, when Governor <laughs> Ducey came in, he used to say, you know, in Texas, the business community doesn't, if, if Texas does something, quote, unquote, embarrassing, you heard Secretary Hobbs say, I don't want us to end up on a daily show or a late night talk show joke. Um, I think she was on the Daily Show yeah, or probably, some late, late night show. Probably was, so she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> but in Texas, the business community doesn't stand for that. They mm-hmm. have this united don't mess with Texas thing. In Arizona, that doesn't exist. We seem to have this round table, I'll call them, out there that rushes to judge uh, the state. And almost like once We're our own to, worst enemy. We are, yeah. And there's so much to brag about. There's so many good things. I think Governor Ducey wanted to find a way to get that state pride out there. And um, I think he did it. I think he moved the ball down the field. I hope whoever picks that ball up doesn't drop it. What, uh, what is the big challenge over the next decade or the challenges in your mind for 
for our economy in Arizona? I mean, I think it comes down to basically three things. The first being talent. You heard in that room, labor shortage is the number one issue. There's a coming jobs war. Do we have the talent we need? One other thing that we heard in Taiwan and South Korea was that ASU and the fact that they're going to graduate over 30,000 engineers has given us a competitive advantage to get some of these companies. Mm -hmm. we're, we're producing a good pipeline of talent here. Um, so that's one of our big issues. Obviously, this myth about what's happening with water. Mm -hmm. What is the truth about water? The truth is Arizona is a well-planned for state, and we continue to grow as long as we grow smart. So I think a strategy of augmentation and conservation, you know, which is what Governor Ducey started with the drought contingency plan and also his billion-dollar investment, I think you'll see that with some desal and other exciting ideas down the road. So that type of critical infrastructure, and then I would say energy. Mm -hmm. um, right now, we have a reliable grid. We have a nuclear power plant, the, the best in the West. And California, you can't even, you're not allowed to have your power on past certain hours right now. I mean, it's like living in Europe. And so Arizona needs to, to make sure that doesn't happen here, that we continue to give our utilities what they need to keep our grid on, to keep our ACs blowing at this 113 degree weather that we have. And uh, I think we'll be okay. And you've really brought a lot of these new businesses, these startups, this uh, into the chamber since you took over about 18 months ago. It feels like you've really opened the doors. A lot of the more entrepreneurial businesses, trying to get them involved, um, so that it's we've got great businesses that have been here forever. They're phenomenal too, but really kind of building out and and uh, thinking of the business community as larger and more diverse. Yeah, that's that's true. We 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 did. If you saw it tonight, we were co-branded with the Arizona Small Business Association because we want to we want to show and showcase that Arizona has led the nation in small business growth for like. And now I think it's four years in a row. I mean, it's fantastic what we're doing here. And um, so we like to tell that story. But one thing I do want to point out that is a concern sometimes when people say that we're not paying enough attention to local businesses, I think they're missing that when Intel says I'm going to invest $20 billion in the state, that's not a California business. Intel has been operating for over 40 years in the state. That is a local business. Intel is, you know, 12,000 plus employees. They are the city of Chandler. They are your neighbors. They are your PTA moms. They are your soccer coaches. They're everything. And um, to, to suggest that we're not taking care of companies here, I think that's incorrect. Companies here are expanding and they are having wild success. If I recall when we worked together, you loved eating the, the DES cafeteria and getting the grilled cheese there. But when you really want to have a good meal, where do you go in town? Where do I go in town for a really good meal? Well, I, I'm a big seafood person, being from Florida, which is my, my home state. And, um, you know, I've started to really like Ocean 44 as fresh seafood. I thought you were going to say Buck and Ryder and then Steve Shukri would run yeah. in. and Well, <laughs> you know, I, we do, Buck and Ryder has one of my favorite lunches. And they have a delicious fish sandwich. I could talk about Buck and Ryder a lot, yeah. too. I, I, I do love it there. We had Steve on, and he's an investor, he's an investor. in there. Not and... in that one, though. I found out. He, oh. it's, the, it's the new one that's being built. But, yeah. I think it might be both. Is it both? Yes. No, I, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. That's but, I, but I, yeah, you might be right. I love Buck and Ryder. Um, I love Buck and Ryder and Steve Shukri and yeah. Ocean 44. It's is delicious. Also great. Yeah, it's delicious. Get a little noisy in there, but it's delicious. Worth the food. You know, I just don't have to talk with the people you go with sometimes. Just sit there and eat. I think it's the atmosphere definitely. It's a similar menu to Steak 44, but kind of takes it to the next level in term, terms of atmosphere. Um, all right. The other thing I just got to kind of tease you about as a product of Catholic school. I didn't like all the attacks on public schools. Katie Hobbs, you, I mean, what's up? 
Our, our attacks on Catholic school, you mean? Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, and I know our former boss, Governor Ducey, who, who's a fan <laughs> of Scarf and Friends, as is the world, and they should be, um, is a product of Catholic school, too. I had some very mean nuns. <laughs> and I could go into specific stories about what happened when I was in fourth grade at St. John's. And all I ever did was help a girl pick up a Valentine that fell off her desk when we were all ordered to stay in our desk. <laughs> and it was met with swift and fast punishment with a whack on my wrist. And I mean, like, I had to hold back tears in fourth grade. I, I remember it vividly. So, yes. Um, I don't we had nuns. But I think our nuns had been beaten by their nun teachers and so they were actually pretty nice so usually that rolls downhill you know it's like a it's like a chain of punishment on corporal punishment but um you know there's a method to their madness i guess and i really shouldn't have gotten out of my desk to be a gentleman but you know i, <laughs> no. stand, I stand by my decision no it it I, i'm teasing but I, I do think that uh i know you were a big proponent of the esa legislation school choice and that's a big priority of the chambers and it's something i'm passionate about i know you're passionate about is making sure kids and families and everybody has all these options yeah I, what's really neat about arizona is i think we're one of the first states in the country where a majority of parents are sending their kids out of their local district so we've entered what people in, in the experts right they refer to it as the competitive model and i think that's great i'm a dad of three kids and I already can see that my oldest son, Wit, is probably going to end up at a different school than my middle daughter, Hope. And I think that's great. great. Yeah, I think that's fantastic that I have those options, that I have the ability to get Wit to the school that's best for him, to get Hope to the school that's best for her. And then Mac is so easy. I don't know where he's going to end up yet. Well, when we use this line about you shouldn't be trapped in a school based on where you can afford to buy a house, my brother and sister both live in the Bay Area. You literally do need to do that. You need to buy a house where you want your kids to go. If you have means, great. If you don't, your kids are basically set up for failure. That's, yeah, that's and, correct, yeah. You know, the other thing I'll say, and this really set off a lot of people on the left on Twitter, because I do think, part of why I think the ESAs are good, and I don't know if you're allowed to say this, I think you are, I think that religious education is a good thing. And I don't think we talk enough about that as conservatives. We talk about this as school choice. Everybody should get to go to school their choice. But I think for a lot of kids, I'm the product of religious education, and I think it is a something we should be encouraging. And I think particularly for kids who are in you know really bad situations, um, and a lot of the pastors that the governor met with on this issue in the African American community said the only shot some of these kids will have to get out of a cycle of poverty and drugs is to have that in their lives. So I think that is, it's certainly something that sets off some folks on the left. They don't like to hear that. But to me, that's a really important component of this policy, in my opinion. Yes, I'm a big fan of parents being empowered getting the money that they've put into the system, and not all of it, not even close to it, back so they can send their children to the school that they think is best for them. And when if that's a religious and spiritual school, that's great. I think, you know, I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan of faith. I'm a big fan of religion. I know you uh, are. Um, and I would love, I w you know, love it if that's where my, my kids want to end up, but I don't know if that's the case yet. But I think it's much more about empowering those parents. And that's what I'm excited about is the more, I think one of the leading indicators of success for a kid is how involved their parents are. 
So when you have that kind of involvement and you do things like this that get sucked the parent into the involvement, make them feel like they're investing in their own child's education at that early K-12 part, I think that's very exciting. I think it's entrepreneurial. I, 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 I can't, I don't understand the argument against it. I don't understand the fear of competition. If you're at a traditional public school in your community, you should say, well, we should just be better. Exactly. We, we should rise to the occasion, you know. Um, but what are these schools afraid of? They don't think they can compete? That's very sad. Well, Danny, this is really impressive. Congratulations on a great event. I think everybody here learned a lot. Um, can they find this online? Will it be housed somewhere after the fact yes. on YouTube or on the Chamber website? So we had every local network at least mm -hmm. there, and I know two of them were live streaming it. I'll send you a link uh, when we see it up. But I know that I believe Channel 10 is going to put it on their YouTube channel, Fox cool. Channel 10. Well, hopefully everybody watches. Uh, I think this will be a very spirited campaign yeah. <laughs> and a lot of fun to watch it unfold and really appreciate your time, your leadership. He's the guy with all the NDAs, Danny Seiden. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thank you. This is the pinnacle of my career is coming on Scarp and Friends. <laughs> yes, so thank it. you. All right. Thanks, everybody. Hey, it's Scarp. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please subscribe to listen to all of our new episodes.